Oh, good. I, I, I have friends in the house. Um, if, if I don't know you, and there's several, hi, Jesse. Uh, there's several people in here that I definitely don't know, but uh, I'm Danny. I'm the middle school pastor here at Grace. Uh, so, freshman, did you miss me? Or, oh, good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Uh, I wear a couple other hats here. I get to lead a course for our seniors called Foundations. So, shameless pitch, if you are a senior and not yet signed up for Foundations, get signed up. I'm closing signups on Sunday, uh, and we're going to start in a few weeks. So, make sure that you get registered for Foundations. You should have the link. If not, your leaders have it. Get signed up. And uh, as part of Foundations, I also get to take the juniors to... Israel in the summer. So if you are a junior, I want to go to Israel with you this summer. So uh, be on the lookout for information. That's coming out probably next week. Information on the junior Israel trip. It'll be a blast. Um, We try to make it as possible for you to go uh, as we can so that as many people can go to Israel. So be on the lookout for information and things like that. This past weekend, I drove down to Chicagoland, and I went to Wheaton College, which is where I went to school, and I'm biased, but I think it's the best school ever, uh, because it was homecoming, it was our biggest rivalry game, and it also happened to be my five-year college reunion, which makes me super-duper old, Uh, but being back on my college campus started bringing all these memories, so many cool things, so many, like, impactful moments, like hilarious moments with my roommates, some of our most epic wins on the football field, intense, just like personal growth as as a student, as a person. My four years in college were super intensely identity-shaping for me. It was a super important season in my life because of the people that I was around, because of the environment that I was in. And being back on campus, I, I... I started thinking about some of the things, the biggest impacts on me and and started thinking about this concept of identity that we've been talking about in this series called Known. And the first thing I thought about was 10 years ago before I ever set foot on Wheaton's campus and I was being recruited to play football there. And I went on my recruiting visit and some of you, I think, are going to go play college sports and that's super awesome. You'll experience this on a recruiting visit. You get to go meet all of the, the guys on the team the coaching staff, you stay overnight, get a feel for what the school was like, and every single conversation that I had with new guys that I was meeting who were already on the team, it went exactly the same, and they asked me five questions. What's your name? Where are you from? What position do you play? How good's your high school team? And do you have a girlfriend? Right? Your name, your town, your team, like, your position... And do you have a girlfriend? And those five questions kind of encapsulates all that I am as a person, right? They really got to know everything about me, all these kind of external circumstantial things that make me me. I felt seen, I felt known. The second thing I thought of when I was back on campus was nine years ago. During my freshman year at Wheaton, I did the thing that all new freshmen do with their roommate and set up their dorm room. And my roommate, Eric, who's my best, most dearest friend, he and I went to set up our dorm room, and we had all of the essentials, everything you need for the perfect college dorm room. Eric brought the big screen TV. I brought the Xbox. Eric brought the Keurig coffee maker. I brought the mini fridge. Everything you need for a college dorm room. 
The one thing we were missing, however, was a couch. And so we went to a used furniture store, like 10 minutes from campus, to go buy a couch. And let me just tell you, I found the most perfect couch of all time. Incredibly comfortable, goaded for naps. This couch stayed with me all four years of college. I loved it dearly. I cried when I had to give it up when I left school. Just kidding. Um, The one issue with my perfect couch was that it was white. White furniture is impossible to keep clean, and because it was a used furniture store, it came pre-stained. Nothing gross. Like, it wasn't disgusting. I wouldn't have bought it if it was disgusting. Um, But there were stains on it. So, uh, my perfect couch that I spent $5 on, one Abraham Lincoln for my perfect couch. We went to Target and we bought a couch cover for $20. So $25 all in investment. This couch cover covered the whole of the couch as well as the couch cushions, hiding all of the stains, upping the comfort level pretty significantly. And it was perfect for our dorm room. A few months into my freshman year, We took the cover off the couch because it's machine washable, and they're like, sweet, I'm going to throw that in the washing machine. And we noticed something we had not seen when we bought the couch, and that was wedged in the back of the couch, like where the seat kind of meets that back, like so stuck in there you could barely see it, was a wallet. And, I mean, we had put this couch cover on, like, immediately after buying this couch. So I knew that it wasn't my wallet. I knew that it wasn't Eric's wallet. It wasn't the wallet of anybody on our dorm floor, any of our teammates at Wheaton, This wallet belonged to a rando, and so we pull out this wallet, and inside, it's a Blockbuster rewards card, $30 in cash, I made a profit on my couch, and a driver's license, and this driver's license told me everything I needed to know about a random individual. It had his name, I can't say because this is going on YouTube, Uh, his address, it had his birthday, height, weight, eye color, and his social security number is on here. Everything that I need to steal this man's entire identity on this piece of plastic. All of these characteristics that were current to this guy is a whole identity. So hear me now. Your your name, your hometown, how good your team is, those kind of external, circumstantial things, that is one way that you could define yourself or be defined by other people. That, you could say that that's your identity. All of these kind of current characteristics about yourself, your height, weight, eye color, what you look like, like that's another way that you could define yourself or be defined by other people. Current characteristics could be a part of your identity, but What I want to argue tonight is that your identity goes so much deeper than that. That there's so much more to you, so much more that makes you you than just circumstances or characteristics. And here's why I want you to just like internalize this like right now tonight. Because if you are currently basing your identity on these external circumstantial realities or these current characteristics of who you are, when the season changes, you will crumble because your identity is not built on anything solid. When your 
external circumstances change when you move away from the town that you grew up in, when you're no longer an athlete playing on the team, when your relationship status changes, if that is defining your identity, who will you be when those things are not? If you are defining yourself based on current characteristics, what you look like, your eye color, your hair, all of those things change throughout your life. You're not going to look the same in 20 years, in 40 years, in 60 years, God willing, as you do right now. So if your identity is wrapped up in how you look, what happens when that changes? If you walk out of here with one thing tonight, like my big idea for this whole message is that you were made on purpose and for a purpose. You were made on purpose and for a purpose and your identity is so much deeper, so much deeper than you thought. So if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we're in Psalm 139. I'm just going to pick up right where we left off last week. Psalm 139. You can start getting there in your Bibles. Uh, maybe that's a physical copy. Maybe it's the Bible app. It's the most downloaded app on the App Store. So chances are you already have it on your phone. But if you're going to be on the Bible app, don't let notifications or text messages distract you from being in God's Word tonight. Uh, and as always, like we do here at Next, if you don't have the Bible app or your Bible, it'll be up on the screens for you. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16 tonight. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, by the way, so that's what I've got up on the screens. Read along with whatever you got in front of you. Starting in verse 13, my Bible says this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. If you're a note taker, my first point tonight is that you were made on purpose. You were made on purpose. Earlier in Psalm 139, if you were here maybe two weeks ago, you saw that God knows everything. He's omniscient. God knowing everything means that he even knows the parts of you that you don't want other people to see. The parts of you that you're scared to show. He knows those parts of you too and still chooses to love you despite the fact that he knows all of that. Last week, when Jake was preaching, we saw that God is everywhere at once, that he is omnipresent, that you can't hide from him. You can't escape from God. He is so close, and that means you're never alone either. And now we get to kind of the core of our identity, the very center of who we are. We see that we are created by God, and that was on purpose. I mean, look at all of the creation, crafting, kind of like artistry language. Like, you made all the delicate parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You, you wove me together. God is, is this masterful artist who intentionally made 
you. There's nothing random about it. God made you specifically and on purpose. Verse 13 really sticks out to me. Like, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. If you're an ESV reader, right, it says you formed my inward parts. In the Hebrew, and we know that the Old Testament was written majorly in Hebrew before it was ever translated into English, the Hebrew word for like inner parts is kilia. Kilia, and it, it literally means your kidneys, like your internal organs. Why do we care that God made our internal organs? I think it's because he's telling us that, that our outside and our inside has purpose and intentionality behind it. Like I don't knit or, or sew or any of that sort of hobby or art, but, but think about the intentionality that comes from like sitting here doing this with, with your knitting needles or, or sewing fabric together. Like you've got to touch every part of it. You've got to be so involved with every part of the thing that you are creating. You really make it from scratch. God was that intentional when he made you. And in the more metaphorical sense, when David is writing and saying that God formed our inward parts, our, our kiliah, kiliah almost never really means organs in the Bible. It almost always is referring to sort of like your feeling center, your conscience, the way that you feel and the way that you think. Because the way that you feel and the way that you think, that was formed by God too, intentionally. On purpose. I've had a lot of students come up to me over the years really struggling with kind of just the way that they look. Like, I don't like how, what I see in the mirror. I'm, I'm too skinny. I'm, I'm not skinny enough. I, I wish that I was more muscular and, and stronger. I wish that I was prettier but I think that I've actually had more students over the last few years come up to me struggling with what's going on up here and what's going on in here. The way that you feel, the way that you think, none of that's a mistake either. And so I need you to like hear me really loud and clear. You are not a mistake. God didn't screw up when he made you. Just because you might not like the way that your brain is working right now or the things going on inside of your heart doesn't mean that God was wrong in the way that he created you specifically. So I need you to hear me say, like, there's nothing wrong with you. You are actually knit together, woven together by the king of the universe. And he made you specifically and intentionally. In Genesis, we're told that human beings were made in the image of God. So not only is there intentionality behind the way that you were made, but there's value there too. You are valuable just because of who you are. I think your problem is coming when you're allowing those 
external circumstantial realities or current characteristics to like define who you are. I think that's really problematic. Because then you'll, you'll say, like, God, I, I hate the way that you made me look. God, I, I hate the way my brain works. And when you do that, when you do that, you're actually in rebellion against your creator. That's sin. That's actually only hurting you. So maybe tonight, like, the thing you actually need to walk out of here with and, and work on as an action step like you need to repent and ask God's forgiveness for the way that you have been thinking about and treating the person that God made really intentionally and specifically. You were made on purpose. And so I want to shift the focus now to what that specific purpose is. What is this? Hammer. Correct. Good work. How would I define a hammer? The word definition actually means of the finite. We define things based on their function and their limitation. Basically, what can this thing do and what cannot this thing do? Um, what does a hammer do? Not a rhetorical question, guys. It pounds nails into wood. That's what a hammer is designed to do. You could do a lot of things with a hammer. But it's not what it was designed to do. There's probably actually more things that the hammer can't do than the hammer can do. Um, the hammer can't change the channel on the television unless you like are pounding the remote with it probably. It's not going to save you if you are in need of a flotation device. It's not the right tool for the job if you're trying to fix your car hammer functions best when it is operating within its purpose, when the hammer is doing the thing that it was actually designed to do. So my second point tonight for all you note takers is that you were made for a purpose. You were made for a purpose. Because once you have started to deeply believe and internalize the fact that you were made on purpose, you can start to live into the purpose that God has created you for. Your identity is inextricably linked to your purpose because like a hammer, you were made for something specific. As we kind of walked through verses 13, 14, 15, and 16, 13 and 15 kind of parallel and it talks about like, being made on purpose, but then 14 and 16 also parallel kind of gives you insight into what that purpose actually is. So let me read those again. Verse 14, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. And then verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. ESV readers, I know that it says in verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Maybe that's even a phrase that you've kind of memorized, internalized over the years. In the original language, the Hebrew, before it was ever translated into English, that phrase fearfully and wonderfully is the same phrase used to talk about miracles. The purpose that God has for you and for your life, the thing that you were made to do is miraculous it's incredible you see you were made 
to know God and to be known by God. That is your purpose. And the fact that the creator of the universe, the most powerful being in existence, the one who created everything that we've ever seen, that ever will be, the one who made you specifically, the fact that that God is knowable by you, that's a miracle. And the fact that that God, who is knowable by you, who is incredible and so much bigger than anything we could ever ask, imagine, or hope for, the fact that that God chooses to know you specifically, that's a miracle. Your purpose is to know God and to be known by him. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 17. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Your purpose is to know God and to be known by God. Your purpose is to make God known. Your purpose is to make God known. The fact that the God of the universe would choose to use you to build his kingdom, to bring the kingdom of God to bear on earth, that is a miracle. A passage of scripture that we know really well here at Grace Church. The Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Your purpose, the thing you were created to do, is to make God known. And your purpose, the thing that God made you to do, is to live in community. The fact that you are surrounded by other high school students from the metro area who love Jesus and are pursuing him and who want to grow in their faith the fact that we can have the type of community where you are encouraged by and cared for by and, and living on mission with these type of people, that is a miracle. And Hebrews chapter 10 says, don't neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You have a purpose. You were created for something. And each and every one of your days was laid out in advance by God, written down before you lived even one of them. I mean, he chose you to live in this specific time and this specific place. He chose you to be contextualized by all of the things happening in the world. All of that is informing who you are, who you are becoming. Your purpose is to know God and to be known by him. So my question for you, are you knowing God? Are you participating in the things in which you know that you can know God more? Are you in the word? Are you hearing from him in prayer? We know that within the context of, of relationship is how we know someone the best. So are you actively participating in your relationship with God? Your purpose is to make God known. So my question for you, do people in your circles hear you talk about Jesus? Do they know that you're a Christian? Are you outspoken about your faith? Are you active in sharing the gospel, in fulfilling the Great Commission? Are you helping other people know that their purpose is to know God and be known by God? 
your purpose is to live in community. So my question for you is, are you here? Are you present when you're here? Are you encouraging and being encouraged by your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room and in your small group? Are you caring for and being cared for by your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room and in your small group? You were made on purpose and for a purpose. Your identity is so much deeper than you thought. Your identity doesn't need to be based on external circumstances. It doesn't need to be based on your current characteristics. But those things carry importance, right? All of those things that make you you, those are important, right? God cares about where you live, right? God cares about the family you were born into, right? God cares about the fact that you play your sport, right? Yeah, he does. Those things matter. So let me, let me close this message by trying to unpack a little bit the complexity of our identity. Because yes, your identity is rooted in the fact that you were made on purpose and for a purpose, but there's so many different pieces about you that inform who you are. Uh, it's really like you are a deck of cards. There's a lot of things in your identity deck, right? Things that make you, you. You might be a son or a daughter. If you can't see in the back, I, I literally wrote son and daughter on these cards. That's a part of who you are. This matters. Your family, it matters. You might be a brother or a sister. This matters. This matters as a part of who you are. You might play volleyball or, or hockey or, or football or basketball, and, and these things make up part of your identity. This is part of who you are, is it not? You might define yourself as a, a good student or a bad student. And in a lot of ways, your academic achievement or lack thereof might become identifying for you. It's in your deck. You might choose to go to college at the end of your high school career, and you might end up at a place like Iowa State or Bethel, the U of M, St. Thomas. You should go to Wheaton, actually. But that becomes a part of your identity. I'd really hope that coming to church is a part of your identity. I hope that's in your deck. I also really hope that this specific church is a part of your identity. If you can't see, it says grace on this card. And I really, really hope that being a part of this community here on Wednesday nights, we call it next, I hope that this is a part of your identity. I hope that it's in your deck and in some ways is defining for you. There's probably also some incidental things that are a part of your deck that you might not think are important or, or whatever, like how often you're making Target runs and what you're buying when you go to Target, often part of your identity. Your Starbucks order, some people make this sort of a part of their identity. But more than any other card in your deck, what I am hoping is like at the top would be this one. This is Jesus, right? I, I hope that this is not only the most important card in your deck, but I hope that it's on the top. 
Because when this one is on the top, it gives the rest of all of your cards meaning. If you play any kind of card game like spades, the important cards are spades. If you play hearts, the important cards are hearts. If you play poker, there's certain hands that are worth more than others. If this is the card that you play, it gives everything else importance in your life. But if this card is somewhere in the middle, then everything else will be out of whack. Nothing will have the meaning that it's supposed to. Nothing will have the impact that it's supposed to. And your identity will start to crumble because this one isn't the card that you're dealing off the top. But the thing is, your deck isn't random and shuffled together. You actually get to choose how this stacks. You get to place the cards in order of priority on your life. You get to choose what you think about and what you care about. All of this is not random. This is you and it is important and you get to create the things that matter the most to you. But this is the one, this is the one that makes everything else worth it. This is the one that makes everything else make sense. This is the one that makes everything else actually matter. So in your small groups, I want you to think about and talk to each other about what's in your deck. What does it look like? What are you consistently dealing off the top? Is it Jesus? Fantastic. If not, why? What are the things that are really important to you and are making up the other cards in your deck? How are you stacking and prioritizing what's in there? If you're struggling with your identity right now, maybe questioning like why God made you the way that he made you, if you're struggling with the way that you look, if you're struggling with the things that your brain is doing, if you're struggling with the things that your heart is doing, then I think it'd be really sweet if you opened up to your small group about what's going on. Why is it the way that it is right now? And I want you to think about and kind of discuss a a verse that I think kind of encapsulates really the whole of what I'm trying to get at tonight. And it's from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And I think it really does sum up really this whole conversation. And Paul, he writes, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. I want you to talk about what this means then for your life. And if you're here tonight and you like came with a friend, just go to small group with the friend that brought you. And if you're like, I came here by myself and I don't know what small group I'm supposed to be a part of, uh, find someone wearing a red lanyard. I mean, like, I would say find Jacob. But if you can't find Jacob, one of the other small group leaders wearing a red lanyard will help you find Jacob. And Jacob, Laura, and Jake will get you into the right small group. So let me close in prayer and get you off into your small group discussions. Lord Jesus, I love you. I worship you. God, I'm so thankful that you're our God. I'm so thankful that I don't have to be God. And Lord, I'm thankful that you define who I am. I'm thankful that the external circumstances of my life really are not my identity. I'm thankful that my current characteristics really are not my identity. Lord, I'm thankful that you've given me a purpose. 
Lord, would you help me to walk in that purpose? Lord Jesus, if there's a student in here who's struggling with the way that they look, struggling with things going on in their brain, struggling with things going on in their heart, Lord, would you help them surrender those things to you, knowing that you made them on purpose? I love you, Jesus. So I praise you, and I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, y'all. Have a great small group. I'll see you later.